Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Chapter 1. I strain to listen for boots on the pavement, stomping, marching. But there's nothing. Only the familiar chirp of the crickets and the occasional fading, fading rumble of a car in the distance and a rustle so faint I can't tell if it's the wind or the anxious huff of my breath. But everywhere it's the same as it's always been. The perfectly manicured lawn of Center Square, the gazebo's twinkling fairy lights, the yellow beams from the porch lamps at every door. In the distance, I see a funnel of smoke rising in the air. Most of the town is at the book burning, so I should be safe, or at least safer. I don't measure time by the old calendar anymore. I don't look at the date. There's only then and now. There's only what we once were and what we have become. Two and a half years since the election. Two years since the Nazis marched on D.C. 18 months since the Muslim ban. One year since our answers on the census landed us on the registry. Nine months since the first book burning. Six months since the exclusion laws were enacted. Five months since the Attorney General argued that Korematsu v. United States established precedent for relocation of citizens during times of war. Three months since they started firing Muslims from public sector jobs. Two months since a virulent Islamophobe was sworn in as Secretary of War, a cabinet position that hasn't existed since World War II. One month since the President of the United States gave a televised speech to Congress declaring that, quote, Muslims are a threat to America. I thought our little liberal college town would fight it longer, hold out. Some did. But you'd be surprised how quickly armed military personnel and pepper spray shut down the well-meaning protest of liberals in small, leafy towns. Thank you for reading from that. Um, So when I first started the book, I was like, wow, this is starting out really tense. Like, maybe it'll lighten up for parts. (laughs) It doesn't lighten up. Um, (laughs) In the best way, um, because that makes it more real. Yeah. You know, I haven't read the I don't read the books after I've done, so I haven't read it. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. this, sound, this sounds like kind of scary right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was the feeling for about 400 pages. So okay, thank good. you. Mission accomplished. <laughs> so I don't want to start off getting too far off track, but when I was reading it, um, and then I went back and looked at sort of like how it was described and how people were classifying it. So there was this viral tweet last year from the filmmaker Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. the brilliant Jordan Peele, and he just said, get out his movie as a documentary, um, it, which spoke to like the very real racial trauma experienced by black people in this country, which was what his movie was about. Um, so I've seen internment described as a dystopian, which sort of like took me aback Yeah, I don't describe I it, it that way, actually. Yeah, so how do you describe it? <laughs> um, I describe it as a contemporary novel set 15 minutes into America's future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I know it's, I don't know, people want to put that dystopia thing on it, and I'm like, well, the dystopia is now, folks, so um, it's now. Yeah, that's how I read it. I mean, More yeah, like, I, ca- is- I call it 15 minutes in the future, but like as I was writing, I was like, oh, it's like 14 minutes now, not 12, now 7. Now yeah. four. Yeah, it felt really current, and I, said, I think I saw it on a list of, like, dystopian novels, like, this week or last yes, week or something. Yes, I saw, I I saw like, it also on a science fiction huh. list, and I was like, or, oh. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm a science fiction writer. Right, oh yeah, you didn't even know. Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Um, so you have a pretty lengthy resources section um, mm-hmm. in the back of the book, and I'm, like, a sort of 
former not comfortable calling myself a journalist. So I really appreciated seeing all the research that went into it. And I'm curious if you could talk about um, mm -hmm. some of the research you did. And then I'm also curious if you found certain types of research more useful um, to you in the book, whether it was talking to people or mm -hmm. reading so um, I did a lot of research on, obviously, Japanese-American internment um, and also kind of present-day internments that we're having, um, you know, like looking at the Muslims in, in China and, you know, refugee camps of, for, like, Syrian refugees and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I also looked a lot at what was happening in Germany between 1933 and 1935, you know, like the Weimar Republic and some of the early things that were happening because it wasn't, like, you know, it's like sort of the pre-Nazi Germany, but... Um, with the election of Adolf Hitler, mm -hmm. and I looked carefully at sort of the kind of the slow deterioration of um, the civil rights of the Jewish people and how they were stripped away. And you know, it's sort of like it made me really think a lot of like you know that whole frog in like the boiling pot of water metaphor. Mm -hmm. It's like if there's a boiling pot of water and the frog jumps in, he's going to jump out immediately because he's going to be like, oh my god, it's boiling. But if he's just in there, then he slowly acclimates, acclimates, acclimates till he's dead. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I don't know, that's kind of what it, I was thinking as I was reading all those things. And I also was able to um, speak to, I, I had a, one of my early readers was a Japanese-American woman who was in an internment camp as a child. Wow. Um, and I also spoke with her daughter at length, sort of, um, I mean, not, I guess interviewing, but maybe more like sort of casual conversation about a lot of things. And, um, you know, even though it's not set in, you know, even though it's not Japanese-American internment, obviously the book speaks to that and, you know, makes very specific references to that. And I wanted to make sure that I was sort of getting it right, you know, from the point of view of someone who had actually lived through that experience. And one thing that I sort of picked up on that her daughter spoke about too a lot was how even after being released from the internment camp, there's always a feeling that part of it is with you. Like you're always kind of looking over your shoulder, like there's never a sense of being totally free. And I was thinking how that's so widely applicable to so many situations. Mm -hmm. um, so those were things, you know, and I also looked a lot at photographs because that always kind of is, mm. it, um, I just wanted to get a sense of what it was like to be in the camps. And I was specifically looking at Manzanar and the, the book um, takes place, the camp that they build is really close to Manzanar, which is actually here in California. And it's one of the only camps, it's one of two, I guess, uh, camps that still exist now that you can visit. This is actually a National Park Service yeah, um, camp, and you can, you can actually visit it. So you can still see sort of like some of the barracks, and mm -hmm. there's a small cemetery there, and some of the other things, and it can give you a sense of like the scale and like what people were going through. So I, I you know, I, it was so kind of touching at how much people try to normalize their life inside. You know, kids trying to have school or kids just trying to play because there's so many kids there. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things I found that I just thought was, like, so horrifying was that the, that the U.S. government went into orphanages, like, orphanages where there were Japanese-American orphans, took the orphans out of the regular orphanages and put them inside an internment camp orphanage. Like, these are literal mm -hmm. babies and small children who have no parents and yet are being removed from one orphanage and being put into another behind barbed wires. I mean, I just thought that was like, you know, we are hearing this phrase so much nowadays, like the cruelty is the point. And that just made me really incensed. I mean, that mm -hmm. is just... Yeah, it's horrifying. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, and I'm curious also, did you learn, you know, I feel like in my history books growing up in the 80s, 90s, it was just like, you know, maybe a page or a couple yes, paragraphs. Yes, that's exactly, yes. You know. When I was in high school, I remember like a paragraph or two, you know, those giant like 
U.S. history textbooks that you have that are like, <laughs> at World War II is one page. Um, so there's like maybe one paragraph on Japanese-American internment, but it's something that stuck with me because I was like one of the only Asian kids in my school. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, it was something that really stuck in my mind. So I always have thought of that. And then, you know, it came up during the, you know, the lead up to the presidential election in 2016. Mm -hmm. And I actually wrote this book before the presidential election. You did? Yeah, I started writing it um, okay. in the end. I mean, I got the idea for it like sort of like in fall 2015. Right. And I usually write a short story first when a character comes to mind comes to mind and that's like what I call my treatment so I wrote that short story at the end of 2015 and then started the book like the proper book like in January 2016 and then it was done before the election you know the first or maybe the second draft even wow so you I mean you had no idea how timely it would be unfortunately yeah I mean I didn't really mean for it to be that way I don't yeah. know I um it was sort of that's what I mean I was sort of like writing into history in right. a way that I didn't exactly want to. And there were two things that I, I mean, but as I was revising, like more things happened. So then I would, during revisions, I was like mm -hmm. adding things to the book. Um, and there were a couple things that I actually wrote into the book in the first draft that now have come to pass. I mean, there's small things, but I mean, in the very early scene where David, where Layla, the main character, meets her boyfriend, David, who is Jewish, and they have to sort of meet clandestinely because of a curfew, um, they both receive on their phone a uh, presidential text message, like an alert from the president that who is now able to text every phone. And I wrote that in like, you know, 26, early 2016 before the election. And then, as you all know, because you got it on your phones <laughs> a few months ago, we got yeah. that, you know, the first test run of that. And I was like... God, I wish I would have written something like Samira wins a million dollars. Right. It's gonna say your fingers but on the pulse. I know. Like I was like, this is, I was like, I wish it was a different pulse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So oh. all right. Well, you know, I write for teens, so I like to tell stories from teenage points of view. But I'm curious, why did you feel it was important to tell this book from the point of view of a teenager? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I guess there's a few things. One is I always think that Teens are put into horrible positions of being forced to find their bravery and courage because of terrible decisions that adults make um, and the consequences are enacted upon them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Layla, and the, she's just like a girl like all the other girls. You know, she's going to high school. She plays on the tennis team. She has a boyfriend. She's like figuring out like where she wants to go to college. You know, the things that a high school kid should be doing and is supposed to be doing. But instead, you know, her her childhood is, you know, shattered because of a decision that was made about her, of what, you know, for which she had no, she has no power in that decision, nor did she do anything wrong to deserve that. Mm -hmm. And in real life, that just happens all the time. And I think so much about how, you know, kids are just so brave and they just, you know, we have always sent our, we send kids to war. That's who fights our wars and that's who leads revolutions. And, you know, while I was writing this, like Parkland happened. And I was thinking how these kids like harness social media to build an army to like march on the streets of Washington and say like this should not happen in one more school. And then I was thinking of, you know, little Miss Flint, like literally she started when she was like nine or 10. I mean, because of her Flint, Michigan's like toxic water situation is still in our, you know, sort of we're still aware of it, which I mean, God, how could there be a place that doesn't have like clean water? And then, um, you know, I was thinking of like Malala, like a young woman who 
was fighting for girls' education and for you know rights of, of young women and was shot. And instead of silencing her, it made her voice louder. And you know the 16-year-old girl who was, and Malala won the Nobel Prize when she was 17. And a 16-year-old girl was just nominated for the Nobel Prize, this young Swedish woman who is an environmental activist. And literally, he's gotten millions of people marching on the streets. Mm-hmm. So... You know, every time people will say, like, oh, is this really, like, a thing that kids can do? I'm like, yeah, they're doing it right now. Like, literally, it's not even fiction. Yeah, and I think, like, I don't know. I think back to when I was a teenager and a kid, and, like, there's a bravery, I think, that's there that's Mm -hmm. just sort of not necessarily fades out as an adult, but doesn't feel as strong. Like, you don't feel like I can do that the same way you just kind of do it. Yeah, because I think there's more fear of, like, what can it – there's more fear of mortality, I think. Right. That's, like – I think that's one of the big things that come – but I also think, like, I write – to, I, I love writing young adult fiction because to me it's about young adult fiction lives in like the realm of possibility, mm-hmm. and it's a time you know where there's lots of doors and it's about a time where doors are opening or you're opening doors. You know sometimes you have to force them open. Mm-hmm. That's what I always think is the difference between the young adult novel and the middle age novel. The young adult novel is about doors opening and the middle age novel is about doors closing. Okay, totally. Um, and so I think that's sort of like one of the distinctions. Yeah. Well, I loved that it was from a teen point of view. So yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. Let's see. All right. This is kind of a wacky question, but okay. I'm a sucker for settings or, you know, non-humans who act as characters in books. And to me, I mean, this is wild, but the dust in internment oh, yeah. at the camp, like really served as another character. Um, so I'm curious if this was just like, I mean, this is kind of like a nerdy craft you know, writing question, but how did this come to you? Um, was it part of the research that you talked about or did it just sort of like you read the over it and realized? So in a lot of the photographs I was looking at of Manzanar, a lot of them were like about dust. There was a lot of like, you could see like the dust storms that were coming up. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know. I'm like really, my editors are always like, you're good at describing like places or you're not really that good at describing people. And I was like, I I hate people. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know like why, but to me, I love, I mean, there's a line of when they're going to the camp where she says something about how, you know, nature is this destructive force, but it's neutral. It doesn't have bias. Like Mm -hmm. it can destroy, you know, in any place. And, um, I just, you know, they're in the desert and there's like so many, obviously there's so much symbolism with all, with all of this. And, mm-hmm. you know, they see like these mountains in the distance and like, there's something like where there's these wide open expanses and you think of that as freedom, but then they're enclosed and like the dust is just choking them. So mm-hmm. I really, I did think, I'm so glad you noticed that. Thank you. Yeah. It really I, came it through <laughs> the whole time I was reading it. I was like, I want to take a shower. Right? Like, I, I wanted, so bad. Yes, did you, I, when I was writing it too, I was like brushing my teeth like extra because it felt like my teeth were gritty. Yeah. I, I know it's like weird how like your writing does that, but. Well, that's a sign of a great writer. Oh, I mean, yes. really, Wait, but it really I, came through and it, I think it, um, was really a, a really powerful part of the novel for me to just, you can imagine what people are going through and you can read about it and you can sympathize. But like that, I don't know. That was just one of the things that really stuck with me. Like, I don't want to be dirty all the time. I don't yeah, want to be I mean, dusty I could just imagine time. like in my mind, I'm imagining them like washing their hands. You know, I used to live in New York for a long time. And if you like walked around the city for a really long time, when you come home and you wash your hands, it's like gray mm-hmm. in the, in the, the yeah. basin. Yeah. So I sort of was like, that was a little bit of the image in my mind. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It came through. It was really powerful. Um, okay, one thing I really was excited to ask you about, um, one thing I loved in the book was the variety of Muslims who lived in the camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of people hear the word Muslim and they have a very specific image in their mind. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about some of the diversity of those characters? Yeah, so I really, you know, Islam is the most diverse religion in America. And I'm always saying, everyone's like, 
Muslim is not an ethnicity. And I, I feel like I have to say this literally everywhere because I'm like, there's no Muslimistan where we all come from. <laughs> um, but a lot of people sort of think of it that way because there's yeah. just like, this is a Muslim. Or I hear so much, that person doesn't look Muslim. And I'm, I'm completely baffled by this. Um, and so in the camp, um, you know, we have like a wide variety of what Muslims might look like in America. There's like black Muslims, you know, some of them wear hijab, some don't. There's South Asian Muslims, there's Southeast Asian Muslims, there's Latinx Muslims, there's, you know, they talk about like what it means to be a white Muslim. So like being, for example, Turkish or, or Persian versus like a white, white Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that was really important to me because um, that's what the religion is. It has like people from every like race and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to at least, you know, even though my main character is, you know, South Asian Muslim, I wanted the camp to be reflective of that. Like, you know, there's Egyptian American Muslims and there's, and you know, I tried to like actually name like Egyptian American as opposed to saying like Middle Eastern. You yeah. know, just like having it be so broad, but there's, right. there's specificity, obviously. And that's a different yeah. intersection, like being an Indian Muslim versus being an Egyptian Muslim. Those are two different things because you have a different cultural background, mm -hmm. even if you're practicing the same religion. Yeah, you probably practice it, was... it in a different way, too. Right, exactly. I just think that's really helpful. I came from, you know, um, a really red state, not a lot of variety of people. And so reading a book like this as a teen would have been so eye-opening to me. And it would have been really great to know because I don't even know what I thought. A Muslim person was. Well, I mean, when I was most 16, Americans haven't met a Muslim. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't. So, so yeah, I really appreciated I that. Glad to glad to introduce you to someone. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, I obviously and sadly do not have to ask you where you got the idea for the book, although that was like a surprise to me to hear that you started writing it before the election. Well, those, it was the fall of 2015, and there were like three very specific things that happened yeah. during the election that sort of made me think. Okay, of it. well, tell me about the. Them. Um, so one of the leading candidates. Um, in the Republican primary in September of 2015, he said, if I become president, I'm going to ban all Syrians from America because they're all ISIS, they're all terrorists, even the babies, apparently. Um, a month later, that same individual said, if I become president, I'm going to absolutely be looking into closing mosques across America. We have to, we have to. I guess that whole constitution and freedom of religion thing, not important. And one month after that, the same individual said, if I um, become president, I, we are absolutely going to look into ways of establishing a database for Muslims. So all Muslim Americans will have to register on a database. And so those three things were, I mean, obviously it gave me like a lot of rage. Um, I also am naturally like a person filled with rage. <laughs> because I... It's like a nice rage though. It, it is. I'm an, I'm an Aries, well. so it like fits. <laughs> so like the fire is like... Oh, Right, the fire's always burning, and then this was just like more like logs on the fire. Yeah. So then it was like, yeah. Well, I'm curious. Um, I don't know what you thought about while writing it. Did you worry about anything in particular? Were you concerned about the similarities? The fact that it was sort of set 15 minutes into the future. I mean, it was. I mean, like election night. I really was like. I mean, I got a text message from a friend, and they were like, "God, I hope who had read the book," mm -hmm. and they were like, "I really hope you're not a Cassandra." And I was like, I really hope so too. I don't know. I kind of like just, I don't know. It was really like a sense of, I don't know. I felt like I had to write the book, even though at the same time, it just filled me with dread. Mm -hmm. So I think every moment, like obviously the day after the election was like probably one of the worst days of my life. And just because of the way I was feeling mm -hmm. and I was just like, I mean, I live in an extremely, extremely diverse neighborhood. Um, and, I mean, like, I think my actual neighborhood, like, 
it's probably like 97% like voted for Hillary. And I was like, who are the 3%? <laughs> I was like, um, so, yeah. but still I was walking around and thinking like every person I looked at, every white person I looked at, I was like, oh my God, are you the 53 or 57% or whatever that that voted for somebody who said that maybe they could put me in an internment camp. Mm -hmm. Like literally that's what I was thinking, which is like an awful way to just to walk around like in your neighborhood. Yeah. It completely strips away like your sense of just, you know, any sense of like safety or normalcy. Trust in humanity. Yeah. (laughs) Or also that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It just makes you suspicious of everyone you see. Mm -hmm. And that's like a weird burden to like walk around with. But I think, you know, people of color kind of walk around with that anyway. I was going to say, yeah. That's kinda but it was just like an extra, <laughs> it was just like an extra layer. Yeah. That hasn't really gone away. I don't no, know. it hasn't gone away. It just kind of gets worse. Yeah. Well, Especially if you're on Twitter. Don't, oh, God. Don't go on no. there. <laughs> Cesspool. Yeah. Um. <laughs> those are the good days. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get into like maybe a little more upbeat uh, questions okay, now. A little happier. Um, what was your favorite part about writing the book, which I know is kind of a weird question where it is a super intense so the book. dad in the book is a poet, um, and I, I, as a kid, I never really imagined being a novelist as a kid. Like, I never really dreamed of being an author. Mm-hmm. I mean, I started my first book, I started writing my first book, like, the idea of, like, write, maybe I could write a book came to me when I was, like, 40. I was like, maybe I should try writing oh, a book. Wow. Um, but I always loved writing poetry, okay. and I did send some of my poetry, but it was, like, really kind of bad. Like, I was writing a lot of, like, angsty high school poetry, and, like, you know, about like who, the guy who wasn't my boyfriend or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I sort of always had a little bit of a dream of being a poet. And I was like, oh my God, now I figured out how to do it. I just have to become a novelist first. And then they have to publish your poetry <laughs> in your own book. <laughs> so I originally had used um, like poetry from another poet, um, Fez Ahmed Fez, mm-hmm. um, an Urdu poet. And, but then... It was really a giant pain in the butt to get permission. And I was like, I'm just going to do this myself. Because like for, to get permission, like you had to have someone in India go to the Fez Ahmed the Fez Foundation and like pay them the money. And like, you know, I don't know. There's like everything in India is very involved, like the bureaucracy. And I was like, I, I was like you know what? I'm just going to write all the poetry myself. <laughs> so that was actually a fun, I mean, it was something I really enjoyed. Yeah, I liked it. And then the epigraph is... Yes. I looked him up. I was like, excuse me, is this like a real poet that I should know before he started <laughs> yeah, reading? Yeah, so I, I did the, That's like actually from him. I, was, I, I really wanted people to do that, so I'm so glad that you yeah, did that. Because I wanted I people to it. be like, oh, who is this poet? And yeah. then it's just... Yeah. Yeah, that was a really nice touch. Thank you. Um, okay. I'm going to ask a silly question before I ask my last question. Um, per the bio on your website, you're on a lifelong quest for the perfect pastry. Yeah. So what are your, some of your you favorites? You guys, that is a very excellent Yeah, what are some of your question, favorites yeah. that have come close, though? I'm curious, like different cities, different Well, Paris pastries. is obviously, yeah. That's like the one. <laughs> the winner, yeah. Um, kind of hands down. Uh, so I, um, I, I'm lucky enough to be able to visit Paris somewhat frequently. And so pretty much when I go there, it's just like three pastries a day minimum. Um, and I mean, I think it's a great way to vacation is like with a specific food theme in mind. So like everywhere I go, I'm like, what's the best pastry you got? And I will try all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, like, it's really about like the journey, not just like the destination. (laughs) Yes. I like this plan. I might have to. Please adopt adopt it. it. I know. I think I might have to. All right. Um, what's the number one thing you want readers to take away from this book? 
So, um, you know, Layla is a young woman whose power has really been stripped away from her, right? And she's in this camp. Um, and she does uh, two things that I hope people will think about, which is one is she's still, even though her power is taken away, she still tries to hold on and, to her voice. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she can do with her voice is she seeks out allies who maybe have more power than she does. And what she basically has to convince them to do, or what she's trying to convince others to do, is like recognize the privilege they have, recognize the power that comes with it, and to use it for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And I hope that like any person of any age will think about that a little bit when they're reading this book, which is like sometimes it's uncomfortable to shine a light on yourself and like see the kind of privilege that you do have. Mm -hmm. um, but so much power comes with that. And I'm just like, what is the point of having that if you don't use it for a purpose that is for bettering things and lifting other people up? And so I, I especially hope for teens, I hope that's some way that they can take a little piece of that. And that's like part of this whole like you know, these hats, like the read to resist hat and all that stuff. Like, you know, just reading itself, just reading a book itself is not like, I've changed the world just by reading it. No, it's like the idea is, I mean, it's sort of, I think of reading is sort of like a gateway drug to resistance, right? So like reading this just builds like a little bit of empathy, empathy and like awareness and like interconnectedness. But maybe it's also like, I hope it makes people feel a little bit of rage too and mm -hmm. makes them think like, hey, maybe I'm going to be 18 by the next election, and maybe that means I should register to vote. And maybe that means I should get three of my friends to register to vote. And maybe on election day, I'm going to make sure my parents vote for the person they should. Mm -hmm. And maybe that means I'm going to read a little bit about who's actually in the election and maybe make some calls for them. Maybe that means I see something wrong going, something awry, and in my community, there's going to be a small protest, and maybe I go to my first one, and maybe I make my first sign at a protest, and maybe I speak at a protest, mm -hmm. and maybe I am going to be part of the boots on, ground, on the ground, like, for a march on Washington, and maybe one day I'm going to be speaking at that march on Washington. Maybe I see there's, like, a, you know, a community board position open, and maybe I'm going to run for that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a Senate position. Maybe it's more. So I guess I just hope that, like, everyone can realize that they have a power, and I hope they can use it for a purpose. Oh, that's so great. That's such a great answer. All right, I have one more question. Okay, Don't yeah. hate me for this question no, it's before okay. we open it up. Okay. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> I actually have a book it's coming out, so I, that is like actually an easy question. That's why um, I asked it, because I knew you, you had something. Thank you. Great. I appreciate that. It's like good to get a softball once in a while. Um, so in April of 2020, well, April-ish, of 2020. Um, it's my third book. It's called Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know. Um, it's a little bit of a departure from my first two books, and it's um, uh, it's a literary mystery, actually. Nice. Um, and set in Paris? It's set in Paris, right? yeah, yeah, actually. Okay. Uh, there are pastries in there also. I was going to say, I mean, now that I know you spent time there. was right? important, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, all these pastries right now. <laughs> Thank you, Uncle Sam. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so next April, we can see that? Yes, or 2020? Uh, yeah, so about spring. a year from now, spring okay. 2020. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thank you. All right. Does anyone out here have any questions? Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Oh my God, I know that. So first of all, the book actually has been optioned 
I was going to say it has, hasn't um, it? Because, yeah. like, I, this is, is this not, like, a perfect movie cover? I mean, just yeah. imagine yeah. a person in this. Um, and I don't know about the actor, because it's, like, really, it's hard to think. Of, I mean, I'm not sure. People have asked me this so many times. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm thinking of, like, a South Asian young female actor, and I was like, I don't even know. I don't, we have to do a search, a talent search. That's why, that's why those things exist, because, you know, maybe that would be... Yeah, yeah, I'm sure she's out there. Like so unknown, so it doesn't end up. I love Yara Shahidi so much. Nobody ever tell her I said this. Yeah, but I mean, you know, when you have the same actress playing, yes, like, the same, all the yeah. same. You know, I mean, I, I hope they could find someone. I'm sure they could find somebody amazing for it. Yeah. And then, like you know, the camp director, even though he's evil, I think it should be Chris Evans, just so I can meet him. Oh. And like, I think. <laughs> I feel like. It's it should be that I was like, look, you've been Captain America for a long time. Why not play this? Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know. It's just, 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 put it, just putting it out there. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay. I think it should be like a going against type, so. I think so, too. Yeah. I never thought of that, but now that would yeah. complexity to it. This is going to be like a movement. You guys, I'll, I'll tweet about it. Maybe he'll be like, oh, my God, yes. That was the part for me. I've always wanted to play like a cruel dictator type. Probably. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let's give him the chance. <laughs> Amina. Yeah. How did you, did you protect yourself in those moments or did you just let it, did you just go 100% and like let it all out? Like how did you manage getting into that headspace and out of that headspace while you're writing? I mean, I think this goes back to that rage thing. So I think it's good to, I mean, it's, this is going to sound weird, but like my rage sort of gives me hope. Um, Because I think like I can channel it and this is like what I channeled it into. Um, And... I eat a lot of chocolate one. <laughs> That's like another like thing. Uh, so sometimes you know you need to balance like the rage with like I was like I'm gonna have like some dark chocolate with like chili peppers in it. Um, but I don't know. I think I do. Um, I you know I wrote the first draft pretty fast, and so it, in a way, it still felt a little distant because the election hadn't happened yet. And so I think the drafting part wasn't that. It, it still felt more like fiction and it wasn't until like sort of the later revisions and like revising the author's note was actually really hard because I revised it like many times because I referenced like yeah I referenced like the, the camps that we have at our borders which those are internment camps like when you take kids and strip them from their parents arms at like border crossings and put them like in a tent city behind like fences that's internment so writing into that was like a little bit hard so the end actually was harder than the beginning Oh, that candidate is now in, in power. Is is now the president? Now the president is the president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have it, but maybe I should. <laughs> Oh, okay. So it's, it's Bosnia. I don't know. I'm assuming it seems like it totally could happen, so I'm assuming mm. it's Bosnia prophetic. Like, well, hopefully it's not prophetic. Yeah. Like, hopefully this isn't either, yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, it has a. I mean, I guess what I think what to me is terrifying about some of these things is the more real it feels to us, the scarier it is. Like that's why I always think, um, like you know, in contemporary fiction, um, to me is usually scarier than fantasy or science fiction because to me the scariest monsters are the ones who are real. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's kind of what I put into the book. Mm -hmm. Wrap up. Oh, okay. Are there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I only, st I basically stopped revising when my editor was like, you can't revise anymore. <laughs> I literally have an email from her, which was like, you can't make any more changes. Because I had asked, oh, can I just look at the, uh, we call them past pages. Can I just look at the next, you know, that you guys have put together, like typeset and everything. And she was like, I will send them to you, but don't send any changes back. She's like, you can just look at them. That's all. So that was like at the point where I was like, okay, it's about to go to print. Because um, I made changes between what's called the ARC, like the early, um, you know, the advanced reader copies, and then the final. And that was really kind of, that's like cutting it close. I was going to say, I know when you emailed me and you were like, this change, I was like, I have a final copy. You're yeah, like, I know, right, exactly. Like, because some, some yeah. of the people I was in conversation with actually got like an ARC or right. got an early, yeah. you know, got like a NetGalley copy, mm -hmm. like an e-copy. And so they actually read some of the old, and then I was like, okay, you guys, here's the changes that happened. <laughs> So yeah, I made some last-minute changes because I was trying to. No, it wasn't like 30 pages like that. It was like just some small changes, but that were still important. But it, the arc of the story, nothing major like changed. But there were some like little changes that that were necessary. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. But then like the thing is, now it's done. It's done. So now that's why I'd never reread the book. Yeah, because you see everything you want to change. Well, I'm afraid, you know, there's like this, I think it's an apocryphal story of like when F. Scott Fitzgerald died and how like on his bedside table there was a, a co you know, a, a published copy of The Great Gatsby and how he had like all these like corrections and notes in the margin. I was like, God, I don't want that to be me. <laughs> like, just be satisfied. Right. <laughs> Did anyone else have any more questions? Great. Nope. Wrap up. All right, last round. You guys, thank you so much. Oh, and also really quick, when um, if you're signing my book, I actually have my book. Um, I've been taking this around as like a little souvenir. So like if you would like sign my book anywhere you want, it's sort of like my little Love it. my souvenir of my, yeah. my tour. So thank you so much for coming. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.